Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Mavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Thursday, March 23rd, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by editor and publisher of Tennis Life, Barry Buss. Good evening, Barry. Good evening, Peter. Good to be with you again. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you spent uh, nearly two glorious weeks uh, at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, Barry, uh, checking out all kinds of action uh, on the grounds. Obviously, Roger Federer got the job done uh, over Stan Varenka in the final, but a lot happened leading up to that final. But uh, if you could just, first off, just share your overall observations of uh, what you were able to experience at Indian Wells for two weeks. Yeah, no, no, my my pleasure. Uh, it was awesome. You know, I got out there uh, very early in the week on Wednesday night, started on the grounds um, from Thursday on. Uh, you know, you just kind of see the, you know, it's a, it's a whole evolution that these events go through. So there's kind of the, the very, you know, a little slower in the beginning, you know, uh, kind of the, the events slowly waking up, everyone's kind of getting into their groove. And, uh, and then you just start to see it escalate, uh, you know, when the star power kicks in, um, you know, when Fed and Djokovic and those guys start playing their first rounds on that first weekend. Uh, I thought the doubles was a fascinating uh, uh, addition to the tournament more than anything else. This is the one of the few weeks out of the uh, year that you get some of the top guys to play the doubles. And uh, that was actually the, the crowd attraction. That was really the fan favorite um, you know, I saw Curios play the Bryans and, you know, he packed 8,000 people in at night and there wasn't an empty seat in the place. And uh, Djokovic's doubles matches were incredibly entertaining. The dolls were entertaining. I mean, it was really, really fascinating to be out there. So really, really enjoyed it. You know, we got, they take very, very good care of us up in the press box and, uh, you know, we get to kind of go our, do our thing. And uh, it was very, very exciting to be out there all week. No, I agree. And uh, the doubles, uh, obviously, uh, star power, as you mentioned, with the doubles, especially at Indian Wells, Barry. Obviously, some of the bigger names don't play doubles at the majors, but uh, everyone seems to uh, want to play doubles at Indian Wells. And as you very well know, and I've gone to Indian Wells several years as well, it's it's wildly popular with uh, with the crowds at Indian Wells. A big international flavor there, but it just seems like the the residents of the Coachella Valley in particular really enjoy watching doubles. And as you mentioned, Kyrgios uh, having 8,000 people uh, at his doubles match, I, I saw uh, you know a Nadal, Nadal playing Fognini in doubles two years ago, and that uh, court number two was absolutely full as well. So, absolutely right. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more about doubles, but Barry, you had a chance to experience uh, probably the envy of, of most of the tennis world. You got a chance to see a, a Federer Nadal match, and this one ended uh, probably a little quicker than people thought. But uh, I did see a tweet that you sent out. Uh, 
really shocking and stunning that there was an empty corporate skybox or two that was empty for that match. I couldn't figure that out. But um, if you could just take our listeners through what it was like to be on hand for a Federer-Nadal match. Yeah, no, no, I definitely was. Uh, that was the first one I've seen live of them. Uh, there was a buzz in the air. You know, we kind of, you know, when the draw came out, obviously there was that the quarter of death where you had Djokovic and Nadal and Federer and Kyrgios and Zverev and even Anderson and Johnson. I mean, it was a very loaded section of a draw, very once in a, you know, the odds of that happening are, are, are quite, quite low. But so there was a lot of buzz about that. So basically it was a, it was a twin bill that day. You got Djokovic and Kyrgios followed by Federer and Nadal. So the, the stadium was packed. It was, the energy was electric. Uh, and right from the first ball, I mean, I've never seen, I honestly have never seen Federer hit the ball that hard right from the start. So I think he's kind of made it, you know, I'm not sure if this is Lubachik or just, uh, he's just kind of got a little more confidence in his back end now, but he's just not going to allow himself to be bullied by Nadal anymore. So he really, really took the tennis to him early, broke him right off the bat. And uh, he really never looked back. And once he got his confidence going, I've never seen him really play quite that well. I mean, there really wasn't anything Nadal could do to, to back him down. Um, but yeah, it was a very exciting. It was a really exciting event. The crowd, I would say, the crowd. At first, I thought it was pretty predominantly Roger, but then by the end of that thing, it was a pretty split crowd. So you really get an appreciation for just how you know the star power of both of these guys and how popular they are and how they really, as ambassadors of the game, they just uh, they really do stand apart from everybody else. And to have them on the court at the same time was really quite remarkable. No, I agree, and, and I'm glad you said that about uh, how hard Fed was hitting because obviously, you know, being there is one thing, seeing it on TV is, is another, and that's one thing I notice, and people are saying, okay, he's really improved his backhand quite a bit. Could it be the racket? Could it be Lubacic? Combination of both, but the thing that jumped out at me, obviously improving the backhand, but the the weight of shot on his forehand, I, I he was just crushing that ball, and, you know, obviously another thing that jumped out at me, Barry, a couple things, actually. A Rafael Nadal match that lasts just 68 minutes. Usually, if, if we're going to see something with Nadal playing in 68 minutes, it's usually he's won a match in 68 minutes because there's a storm coming. For for him to be on the losing end of a 68-minute match is shocking in itself. But really, what jumps out at me more was the fact that Federer four out of five in breakpoint conversions. This is something that has been his nemesis against his nemesis all these years, and. Fed's been able to clean up his breakpoint conversions against the field, let alone Nadal. That 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 to me, those combination of things were just shocking. And uh, he's he's playing exceptionally well this year. Yeah, he's just he's got a confidence about him that uh, you know we haven't seen in a few years from him. And and part of that might have been just taking taking his lumps. Uh, I think we spoke about this on a previous show where how these guys do come back uh, from breaks. Uh, extremely refreshed and extremely hungry and just with a much more of a purpose and a focus. And, uh, and, you know, if these guys could figure out how to balance out, you know, get six months off somewhere in their career in the middle of their, of their uh, workload, it would be one it would do them wonders. But uh, no, he just, you know, he just came right off in the bat. I mean, right the first game, he just smothered him. He was just cracking the ball. He's taking the ball extremely early. And I think that's the one thing, you know, obviously he's hitting it hard, but where you hit the ball from is so important. Uh, and he's just taking everybody's time away. And, uh, you know, and to his credit, he's confident. He's making all the, you know, listen, he's ripping over these backhands and he's making them. I think if he knocks a few of those 10 feet long, maybe he hesitates a little bit uh, on his free swinging. But, you know, he's, he's making the early ones. He's getting ahead early. He's one of the, the sport's great front runners in history. And uh, there's really no looking back for him. I mean, he was never really, I don't think he lost a serve to the finals and he really wasn't pushed, you know, throughout the whole week. 
Yeah, I want to ask you about Nadal. Obviously, uh, you know he's uh, been in a couple of finals already this year. Has lost them both, including the Australian Open final. But um, not too many people talking about Nadal. Obviously, Federer is getting the, the spotlight here, the head and whatnot. Uh, Djokovic uh, is in the spotlight as well for other reasons. So is Murray. But uh, you know, Rafa has had a pretty steady 2017. That said, no titles. But um, obviously, running into somebody like Fed playing at the level he's playing. Rafa's had a pretty good 2017 so far, but in uh, having a personal vantage point at Indian Wells, what what do you see in Rafa's game, and uh, is he really that far off from maybe making it happen, or is he just running into buzzsaws at this point? Oh, I, I think he's going to be a real, real force on the clay court season coming up here. He's hitting the ball big. Uh, I think he's got caught up against a couple, uh, you know, free swinging guys who got hot with Query down in Acapulco. And uh, obviously Federer in Australia and here in Indian Wells, but I think you know he, he is uh, he looks extremely fit. He's serving bigger than I've seen him serve in a long time, routinely in the 120s, uh, which has been a rare you know it's a rare occasion for him. Usually he's been a high teens kind of guy, um, but no, I think he's you know you get him on his on that red clay over the course of the uh, the in the spring coming up here. I think he's going to be really really challenging to beat. Um, you know, he's never won Miami. We'll talk about Miami a little bit more coming up here. But, uh, you know, with the conditions so slow down there, I think that plays really, really well for him. He looks extremely healthy. Uh, I mean, I've never seen him looking. He he's, no, he's not wearing a bunch of bandages and stuff like that. So I think he's going to be he's going to be a threat coming, you know, through the spring here. I think, you know, with a couple of the top guys hurting a little bit, uh, you know, Murray and Djokovic question marks and Federer is probably going to play a limited clay court season. I just don't know where the – where the pressure is going to come on Nadal, you know, during the spring here. And once he gets a good head of steam up on the red stuff, he's tough to take out. That's a good point. I, I very good report on Rafa Barry. I was curious as to, uh, you know, what, uh, what your vantage point was on that. And that's a, that's a very solid report. Rafa even said he expects to play much better in Miami. Again, not that he was playing poorly, but as we all know, Rafa is Rafa, kind of like Stan in a tournament. Uh, he just needs match play, and once Rafa gets that, and obviously we're coming into his time of the year, a lookout. So uh, I like what you said with respect to uh, he's fit, he's serving well, and again, uh, some of the bigger names are going to play either limited schedules or they're on the shelf at this point. So who will challenge Rafael Nadal here coming up, uh, beginning really in Monte Carlo? And um, we're going to shift gears a little bit right now. Barry Novak Djokovic plays Nick Kyrgios twice in a very short span of time. Uh, second time now, uh, Djokovic has not won a set against Nick Kyrgios. The thing that jumped out at me the most is he only won 14% of his first serve points against Nick Kyrgios in any wells. Uh, wasn't much better in Acapulco the first time they played at 19. Uh, certainly want to talk and expound on Nick Kyrgios, but at this point in time, let's talk about Novak Djokovic, because uh, obviously he's got a win over Murray, uh, so far a title earlier in the year, but uh, again, a surprise loss to Istman at, uh, at the Australian Open, and uh, Nick Kyrgios, does he, does he have Novak Djokovic's number? But first off, let's talk about Novak Djokovic. Uh, on the shelf right now with an injury as well, elbow injury, want to get your thoughts, if you saw anything that... Uh, may have alluded to the fact of why he's on the shelf and where is Novak Djokovic's game at this point? Hey, it's, it's complicated. As you said, he beat Murray. He's got a couple of really nice uh, wins over Del Potro where he's fought hard. I mean, the third set he played with Del Potro out in Indian Wells and I was the best I've seen him play, you know, in some time. So he looked like he had his mojo back. Um, you know, I, honestly, I've never seen him this 
this thin in my life and he doesn't he doesn't look strong like he used to his upper body just looks uh he looks emaciated to me and it just doesn't there's something not right there and i think you know he's starting to show up a little bit in in the, the wrist problems he had last year and the elbow and, and the other little ailments he's getting so uh so that's something you know he's got to consider obviously these guys know their bodies extremely well and and you know those extra five or ten pounds of muscle does affect movement over time and i think they've all chosen to to play as light as possible you I mean you look at federer now too he's He's extremely skinny for for someone of that uh, stature. But uh, the thing I really picked up on in the Kyrgios match, I mean, there's a couple things with the Kyrgios match here, that, or the, both matches, actually. I think he's had a total of one break point in the four in the four sets, which is just stunning. Um, but what really really touched me in the, in the in the Indian Wells match in particular, I got a chance to watch the whole thing. He he's on the ball. I mean, he's getting his racket on the return. He's just getting blown through. And I I've never seen. Uh, Djokovic, just that. Unst- I mean, it's just Kyrgios is just a, di- a different level of athlete. I don't think he's seen something like this. Where I mean, the ball's on his rack, but he's blowing it through him at 140, 138 uh, consistently, and, and he's spotting it. And but they, it's mostly the second serves. The second serves were 115, 118, even hit a 126 ace in the tiebreaker uh, against him. And I think that just gets Djokovic completely out of sorts. And and, and Kyrgios doesn't give him any rhythm. He's not going to give. Him, he's not going to sit back there and grind with him. He hits the drop shots, does the tweeners. He goofs it off a little bit and gets under Djokovic's skin. Uh, and there was just a very, very telling point in the first game of the match, actually, where Djokovic was serving, where they got into a very long, long rally, probably 20, 25 shots. And Kyrgios was just sitting back there, just pushing the ball back. And, and he, I think he was just kind of sending the message to him that you can't hurt me. And I can stay out here all day, and I'm just going to push the ball back, and there's nothing you can do to hurt me. But when I get the ball in my hand, I'm going to blow it through you. And then he did. And I think he's in his head. Uh, I think he plays a style of game that Djokovic doesn't like because he really does take the racket out of his hand and doesn't allow him to dictate. And, uh, you know, as matchups go, you know, styles make fights, and that's just not a good, that's just not a good fit for Djokovic. I don't think he likes the, the, the lack of rhythm in playing Kyrgios is something that's going to be a little bit of a problem for him going forward. Yeah, you, I mean, the, the scoreboard shows very tight matches, but, I mean, realistically, some of the games are just absolute blowouts, and I, I agree. It, he's, he's in his head. It's really tough to figure out because Novak Djokovic is so mentally strong. Nothing seems to phase him, or at least until Nick Kyrgios came along. And uh, I just want to ask you, Barry, about uh, what kind of spillover effect this might happen. Obviously, Novak Djokovic, since winning Roland Garros last year, you know, lost to Sam Querrey at Wimbledon. He did rebound and, and uh, win the uh, Canada after, you know, losing in the Olympics and whatnot. But it just seems that the hunger quotient, in my opinion, for Djokovic, once he was able to get Roland Garros, it, it, it's just a different deal right now. He's even said there's more things important in my life than tennis. And I, I get that uh, as a human being, and he's a dad and, and whatnot. But at the same point in time, you know, I, I want to ask you a, sort of a two-part question about that and also – you know, really, for the last five and a half years, Djokovic seemingly gets extremely deep in tournaments, either playing in a final and winning them, or you know, losing in the final or even a, a tough semifinal. Has have the miles really caught up to him with respect to all the time that he's spent on court? Uh, you know, really for five and a half years, going literally wire to wire in most everything he's entered. Yeah, I mean, I think if we look if we look at the last five years, I, I, there's no doubt he's probably played more more tennis than anybody in the world, probably by a good deal. Um, you know, he plays he plays on Sunday. You know, if he, if he enters the tournament, he's playing on Sunday. Um, 
you know, I think if you look back historically, I think, you know, five-year cycles are about what these guys, you know, what the great ones have. You know, you had Federer from 04 to 09. You're looking at uh, Nadal from basically uh, 2008 to 2013, and then Djokovic basically 2010 to the present. So, you know, he stretches out a little bit further. So, yeah, I think this is the first uh, first little bump, you know, significant bump. You know, he's always had a couple losses here and there, but this is a, this is a, a shot at – Shot in the uh, shot in his confidence. Uh, this is a little bit uncharted uncharted waters for him, where he's just not really, you know, he's been as you said, just this consummate professional who is so focused and so driven. And uh, you know, I think the success just fed itself, and you know, and he, he knew he was doing all the right things, and you know, there, he just had this aura about him that he wasn't, you know, he was he was unbeatable, and now that aura has been broken. And so we'll see. You know, I, I fully believe that he'll get back. He's still he's still 29. He's in phenomenal shape. So I think he'll just this is something he's going to have to work through. And as we've seen with with Federer, obviously at 35, almost 36, coming back, uh, these guys will you know they'll have their little hiccups and they'll make their way back. So I, I, I firmly believe in him. I believe he needs to get a coach again that's going to get in his ear and and, and, and crack the whip. And uh, hopefully he's not hurt too bad here. I know he's taken this week off uh, in Miami, so that's not you know he's a six-time champion down there, and that's not a that's not an easy for him to miss. But I, I think you know it's uh you know the cha- there's some challenges out there for him, but I fully believe he'll get get his act together and be back at the top here very soon. Yeah, a couple. Thanks for that great analysis there, Barry. And um, in that match against Kyrgios, um, did you see anything that he was favoring, and anything that might uh, might point to an injury, which is why he's on the shelf? And and a sidebar question along those lines too. Uh, you mentioned uh, he needs to get a coach. Any any recommendations of uh, who might be the tonic for Novak Djokovic at this point in time? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I don't know exactly what he uh, what works for him. You know, obviously having Becker there was was a really great relationship, even though it would seem like they were, uh, you know, it was more of a business than 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 friendship. But uh, you know, maybe something like that where he gets a, you know, he needs he seemed to really really that seemed to work really well for him. So I'm not exactly sure what his uh what, where his goals are for that coming going forward uh i didn't see anything physical he looked fantastic i mean the del potro match was wonderful he was serving well i mean really he just lost to serve the one time first game against Kyrgios, then he held every other time you know fairly routinely himself so he seemed to be serving fine he was you know he's hitting the ball good he just he just doesn't look uh as formidable as he once did he just looks like he, he's still moving wonderfully he's chasing everything down he just doesn't seem like he has the strength he wants to have he once had and uh you know, and just looking at him, he doesn't look uh, as the same specimen he once was, and I think that's just something he'll have to, you know, address here. You know, make a make a mid-career change here. I think is uh, is in order for him. But uh, you know, I think he just needs to get a little rest. But as you said, he's played so much tennis here, and uh, a lot of things have happened in his life, and it's just time he needs to kind of recalibrate his priorities and uh, come back hungry again. I think. That's a good point. And um, before we get to Nick Kyrgios, Barry, do want to talk about Andy Murray, the world number one, who actually, despite losing, not despite not winning a match at Indy Wells, actually increased his number one ranking lead over Novak Djokovic. Uh, obviously, Djokovic, the defending champion, Indy Wells and Miami, so that'll stretch out a little bit more, even though Murray's not playing. But um, Murray loses uh, his one and only match to qualifier Vasek Pospisil. Um, out of out of out of Indian Wells right before he got underway and question on that because Pospisil obviously you you were kind of wondering you know what's going on this is a pretty good player here but you know he's has losses to Michael Moe he uh, was a finalist in the San Francisco Challenger he was supposed to 
supposed to come to Tempe the week after that. He uh, he got in as a special exception. He uh, he did not uh, come to Tempe. But here's a guy who's just playing qualifiers, excuse me, challengers, Barry, you know, a month ago, and uh, takes out the world number one. So uh, this is not about Pospisil, but I want to ask you what uh, what's not happening right now for Andy Murray. It just seems that he spent so much time, energy, effort trying to chase down the world number one. He got there and just really looks a little flat so far in 2017. Has not, uh, you know, Australian Open, any wells, and now even Miami, not even reaching the quarters at, at any of those places. Yeah, no, no, I, he's playing some sloppy tennis. I mean, I watched him, uh, you know, he's just dropping his serve all over the place, and this is not something that he did. I mean, I think if you go back to the the loss in Australia, to Zverev, I think he lost his serve seven or eight times in those four sets, and then uh, he dropped his serve four times against uh, Pospisil, you know, on a very slow hardcore, which is just should, just should never happen. I mean, he's obviously, he's breaking still, he's, you know, he's doing his normal thing, but he, once these rallies get going, he sees he's vulnerable. And I think some guys are starting to learn how to play him a little bit better. I mean, I thought Pospisil played a very smart match. He took a lot of the pace off the ground stroking rallies. He wasn't, you know, just mixing it up. He wasn't going to let uh, Murray just get into his kind of absorb your pace. And, you know, just trying to hit through Murray has proven to not be a very, very good strategy or <laughs> or good job security. Yeah. So, um, I, I, so I just think he played a very smart match, and he played the big points really, really well. I mean, Pospisil hit a bunch of huge, huge shots when he needed to, and you know, he looks he looks very athletic. You know, his his best tennis is very, very good. You know, he's still going to have a couple of hiccups out there, but his best tennis is very is outstanding, and you know, he's always been he can compete with these guys. And uh, so I think in, in totality, I just think it's something that uh, Murray. You know, listen, he, as you said, he played a ton of tennis to get to number one last year. He's, he'll be up by over 4,000 ranking points after Miami here, which is pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, so you can use a little, you can use a little rest and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, enjoy it. And I think, uh, more than anything else, I think he's probably worried about, uh, fed is basically scooping up all the points yep. right now that he, <laughs> I think the fed fans are already worrying about next January where he's got all these points to start defending. But, uh, right. no, I think as the rank, so he's in a great season, a good place. He just needs to heal up and just shoot for the, you know, really target the uh, French Open. That's one of the, that's one he needs to win and uh, go from there. But I think he'll he'll be fine. I just think he's played a ton of tennis there. Mm-hmm. No, good points. Uh, we're going to talk about Nick Kyrgios right now. I'm going to lead off uh, by uh, elaborating a bit on a match I saw him play last year on court number three in Cincinnati against Borna Chorich. Barry, I said in the photo pit uh, for that entire match, Kyrgios held a match point. Uh, Borna Chorich was playing some outstanding tennis. He beat uh, beat Nick Kyrgios. The next day he beat Nadal. And unfortunately for him, he had to retire uh, in the first set against the eventual champion, Marin Cilic. But I, you know, I've seen glimpses of Kyrgios here and there, but that was the first full match I saw. And right then and there, I said, this is by far the, the greatest by a mile raw talent of a tennis player I've ever seen. Obviously, Fed is, is amazing to watch, but he's had to work for that. Nick Kyrgios, it seems like he can just roll out of bed and, uh, and you know, bang 146 second serves, and um, and it's nothing. It's almost like the Fabio Fognini approach to serving, only Kyrgios does it with, with thunder. I am absolutely amazed at, at this guy and his ability to play, and, and you know, no fear against Djokovic, uh, someone who has beaten – 
Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic the very first time he's played them. Uh, a little bit different story against Andy Murray. He's played 15 sets and only won one of those. Can't quite figure that out. Maybe too much respect. But um, you got a chance to see the Nick Kyrgios, Novak Djokovic match. I uh, want you to elaborate on that match on Nick Kyrgios, and then we can talk a little bit about, unfortunately, the quarterfinal that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a piece on, on our Tennis Life website uh, when generations collide, and it was fascinating to watch uh, Kyrgios, who I, you know, Djokovic, who's probably been the best player of this, this certainly this decade, playing against mm-hmm. Kyrgios, who is the next, the next evolution in, uh, in modern tennis. He's the first guy, listen, there's a lot of guys out there who can bang the ball. You know, hitting 140, and you know, we got Raonic's, we got the really big guys who can do it. He's the first one who can move like these other guys. So the, the there's the movement of the of the Djokovic Nadal Murray class who can defend the court with the power that we you know an explosiveness that we've just never seen before. So that this combination, this is kind of what we were concerned. You know, when you think about what's next, you know, the next generation or next evolvement in tennis. You know, if you look at our anthropological chart of how tennis develops, you know, I think the the power baseline or defender, the, the uh, you know, your Nadals, your Murrays, your Djokovic's, these guys around 6'2", 6'3", uh, who can just go all day, that's kind of maxed out. I don't know if – I just don't know if anybody can come and do that any better than they have. And I think when you bring in a Kyrgios like this who's so explosive. So he can play the backcourt game with these guys. He's a shot maker, extraordinary, can hit whatever he needs to hit. Uh, he plays a looser style of play, and then he can just basically take the racket out of your hand. And I think this is this is what the future looks like. It's a little, it's awful raw, and it's not this polished yeah. professionalism that we're uh, we've gotten real spoiled with this last generation. But you know, I watched him play Zverev uh, the round before the Djokovic match, and, and at no time, you know, Alexander Zverev is you know, like 18 or 19 in the world. At no time did I think Zverev had any chance of winning that match, and you could just tell. This was a man who's, you know, just a couple years older, playing a boy, and, the, and just the confidence that he had on that court was just uh, was fascinating to me. So it was a real interesting uh, day watching all four of these guys play, the two best players from last decade and the best player from currently with Djokovic and then the future of the, of the game. Uh, what happened after that in this quarterfinals was disappointing. Um, you know, they, this place, with anyone else was extremely excited for this match, and mm-hmm. – uh, you know, he pulled the ripcord on this thing in the morning. I understand the, the chain of command wasn't <laughs> all that well taken here. Uh, there was no emergency rush to a doctor or, you know, he, yeah. I think he tweeted that he wasn't coming, you know, and he was on a plane to Miami before we knew it. So I don't, uh, you know, as for that, I'm not going to be conspiratorial here. I don't know sure, exactly sure what happened, but, uh, you know, I hope he's feeling better and has a good Miami. But so, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing that they, those two didn't get a chance to square off, but, uh you know, he's making a he's you know when he when he's loose like this. And I think his girlfriend was out there too at Indian Wells, and he seems to be really comfortable in his skin when they're when they're clicking and they're around. And he's you know he's like a big kid, and uh, he was like, he's just extremely relaxed out there. I think the doubles was great for him. And these guys are having fun. They're playing. They're loose. You know, it just keeps him in a good mood. Uh, and I think that really, really translates into good play. If he's happy and, and relaxed, I think he's, he can execute out there, and he's not stressed out. So uh, it, it's the future, and it's coming fast, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to keep it together and uh, you know take the throne into, or the torch into the next decade. No, it's a good report, and uh, obviously it takes seven best of fives to, to win a major, Barry. Uh, I agree he is the future uh any any uh, time frame timeline where we might expect him to 
if not challenge for, win a major? Well, this is this has been my critique of all of these. You know, the the next gens, and we've had a couple of next gens here that just haven't really panned out. You know, right. until somebody, you know, again, this is these guys have these signature victories, and you know, he beats beating Djokovic, and then he comes out and loses the next round uh, to Query. So we're having a lot of that from these guys where they have these noticeable wins, but they don't back them up. And, you know, until the, until these guys start putting. You know, they have to win a major. They have to go deep in, in these Masters 1000s. They have to win a couple of them, even just to be in the conversation about sure. being the best in the world. Best in the world. And, they're, and they're so far from that. I mean, none of, the, none of these guys have been able, even Dominic Team, Zverev, you can go right down the line, Dimitrov, they just have not been able to back up the results. And, and I think part of it is just the incredible depth and, 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 uh, and just the uh, talent that's at the top of the game and throughout the top 20. I mean, you've got to win four or five marquee matches down to, to win one of these events and then as you were just saying if you take it to the major level we're talking three out of five mm-hmm. you know you're gonna have to deal with adversity and one thing I've, i'm waiting to see for curios and this is probably the real real barometer for him I, I need to see him get down a couple sets and not play well against a very good player and find a way back and, and that's exact. we're not seeing that from him when these guys these guys are fair weather players they are front runners um, you know, when things are good, they're good. But you, know, you have to be able to win when you don't have your best stuff. You have to be able to win when you're getting zoned on. You have to find a way. And that's one thing that's really lacking here. So there's still quite a few question marks out there. Obviously, just on a raw talent perspective, he is the best thing out there. But that does not always translate into results, in the future results, and into, you know, into slams. So, so the jury's still out, in my opinion. And we have to be, you know, we have to be patient with these guys. So, you know, listen, he's 23. So, you know, the time is... The time is now. You know, he's got to he's got to sure. make some, something happen in a couple of years. Yep. Great analysis. Just a couple more Nick Curios questions, Barry. Um, he mentioned he's going to take his time to find the right coach. Uh, Want to see who, who you might recommend for him and also <laughs> concurrently, how much do you think, uh, you know, being being around Leighton Hewitt for Davis Cup has helped, has helped Nick Curios, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I would almost, you know, uh, there's no formal coaching relationship there, but you know, the Hewitt presence in his life right now seems to be comforting and, and relaxing him. You know, I think more, more for curious, it's not so much a tennis thing. It's going to be a personality thing and he's someone he can really connect with and stuff. Obviously he's, you know, listen, he's still in fantastic shape. So he's doing the work off the court on his own. You know, you just don't go out there, you know, and play this level of tennis with, you know, with the fitness required to, to be this, you know, the, uh, you know, as successful as he's been. Um, you know that just doesn't. You don't wake up with that. So he's do obviously doing the work, and he's still a, you know he's a disciplined kid. He's not a you know he's not out all night doing that kind of stuff. Uh, so as for who's going to take over for him, I don't. I really don't know. What a, what a tough job. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be. Uh, you know, if he if he wins, he, he's going to get the credit. If he loses, you're going to take the blame. So um, you know he seems to be fine right now. I think it's. I think the less voices coming at him the better right now he's in a good little place just let him you know he can have mentors and people helping him from behind the scenes and just go with it that way i think i agree yeah real pleasure to watch nick curios uh, obviously whenever he's playing get to the court get to a tv set it's it's going to be a, a a wonderful experience uh any way you slice it so um um barry want to move on to the finalist at any wells his best ever result at any wells stan varinka Almost went out uh, to Nishioka uh, midway through the tournament. As 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 Stan goes through these tournaments, as he continues to advance round by round, he seems to gather momentum, gather steam, 
And Stan, you know, the back end of a tournament is extremely dangerous. Uh, maybe not so much against Federer on a hard court, but uh, he played well against Roger. And um, but uh, your take on Stan Wawrinka? I saw him play any Wells last year. Uh, the day he lost Barry, he lost to David Goffin on court number two. Stan couldn't hit. Stan could not keep the ball on the court. His backhand was was miserable. That said, he had a couple of match points. Goffin was able to get the win. Stan was still good enough where he almost got the win that day. And obviously, Stan Varenka, good enough in 2017 to get to the final. Your thoughts on Stan's week at Indian Wells this year? Yeah, he does have a pattern here. That's a, it's a very unique one where he, uh, he kind of comes in, almost doesn't look like you know he's he's checking Expedia, you know, to, to see how quick he can get out of town. Doesn't seem like he's fully invested. You know, he, he Houdini's his way out of these matches. He just plays some very indifferent tennis early in the early rounds. He did it at the U.S. Open last year with Evans. He was down a match point. Uh, next thing you know, he comes back and uh, catches fire, and he wins the title. And he's done this a few times now. And then this Nishioki, Nishioki served for the match twice against him, and Stan was all over the place. He Houdini's his way out of that one. He, he wins a thriller against Dominic Team, uh, seven six in the third. That was a very very well played match. Uh, you know, then he gets his, you know, he gets his legs underneath him. I mean, he, he absolutely tuned up Karina Busto in the semis. That was a mismatch. And uh, obviously, uh, Federer, well, he was three and nineteen going into that uh, final, and now right. he's three and twenty. He's never beaten him on a hard court, so it's uh, always going to be a bit of a challenge there. Roger's got just a little bit enough game to, you know, to break him down a little bit. But uh, listen, he's, you know, he's he's the top seed at Miami right now. How about that? Who would have right. called that one? Um, yeah. So you know, he listen. He's a force. He's a he's a difficult out. He's serving very big. You know, he's, he's just. Uh, I think from the backcourt of all the players I saw, I think he's still probably still probably hitting the heaviest ball. Though I don't like where he's hitting it from. He's probably 15, 20 feet behind the baseline half the time. But he, uh, you know, but from shot for shot, though, I think he's pounding it as good or as hard as anybody out there. So if he's making them, you know, as you said, he, he can he can blow hot and cold. But if he gets it going, he's he's a tough tough out. Yeah, I, I was shocked at how deep uh, behind the baseline Stan is on, on the returns. I, I, I honestly couldn't believe it, but uh, obviously he was able to make it happen, gets all the way to the final. And, um, Barry, just a couple uh, couple other guys to talk about at Indian Wells and their experience there before we move on to Miami. Jack Sock, a uh, very nice run, uh, takes out Nishikori in the quarterfinal. That result really surprised me, but Sock has been playing well in the Masters 1000s of late. Uh, did uh, lose to Federer in the semifinal. No uh, shame in that. Did, uh, you know, didn't really play well in the first set, but was very much competitive in the second set. Your uh, your thoughts on uh, where Jack Sock is? And sidebar question of that, obviously, um, I still feel that he should uh, be in better shape. Obviously, his shelf life is only so long as a professional tennis player. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking that... Uh, if he gets with the fitness program, uh, nice to see what else might he might be able to accomplish. I don't really feel he's there yet. And uh, your thoughts on Jack Sock? He's got a dad bod. He's 24. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, he, he's a funny guy. I mean, listen, he, he's got to be in fantastic shape to do what he's doing out there. But you're right. He just, he's not sculpted like these other guys. Let's, let's just put it that way. Uh, I thought he's, listen, he's been a breath of fresh air out there. He, you know, his match with Dimitrov was thrilling. Uh, he's kind of a court stadium too out there is becoming his kind of his home, his home away from home. They put him out there. He fills it. He, he's the home favorite. He's got a lot of moxie. He's got a lot of game. He plays well to the crowd. He is the kind of the breath of fresh air, 
that American tennis has needed for some time. Now he's got he's got the personality. He's a fan favorite, and, and he wins. He wins big matches, and he doesn't doesn't clutch. He clutches out. So the Dimitrov match, the Nishikori match, he had the place rocking out there. Um, you know, obviously he's a little bit overmatched against Fed, but you know his backhand's going to be a little bit. Uh, it's going to be tough against the top guys like that. But no, he, he's he, listen. I think he's still got some upside. Uh, he'll be tough on the clay. He's hitting the ball big. He's confident right now, and uh, I'm 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 a huge fan. I enjoy watching him play, and uh, I'm 100 percent behind him. How much do you think uh, his doubles play has has helped uh, translate into his ability to play well in singles? I'll tell you right now. I've all I've always kind of done an unofficial study of this. For the guys who have the heavy Western grips on their forehand, he has far and away the best feel at the net I've ever seen. Now, he's got touch to spare up there. He's able to get you know, that you know getting that grip all the way around from the heavy Western into the into the volley grip has always been a tough tough uh, ask for a lot of those guys. Sure. And he has got way, he's got tremendous feel up there. So he obviously he can finish. He can finish the net. You know, he's not a traditionally solid baller. He's kind of he uses his hands a lot, but I mean, he, uh, you know, which is which is really does separate him from a lot of the other guys out there. He's able to, you know, from the service line in, very he's very comfortable and he finishes, and uh, which is great. So, uh, no, I definitely think it's helped him. I think it's gotten him a lot of a lot of reps, a lot of serving, a lot of returning. You know, which uh, you know, I think he does struggle a little bit on the return against the bigger servers. You know, he doesn't quite figure out how to whether it is to bunt it back and get it started or take in full swing. So, you know, a lot of, ra- lot of racket head movement in the swing in the swing zone and the return there. So that does get him a little bit of trouble. But, um, listen, you know, he's probably, you know, he could maybe get to top 10, I think. I don't think he's going to go much higher than that. But I think, uh, you know, for an American, you know, I'd like to see him in the second week of the Open this year. I think that's a very strong possibility. And uh, I think, you know, I think the stadium one would get behind him. I, I agree, and that, thank you for those uh, points about uh, his doubles and uh, the fact that he impresses you so much. That's that's a heck of a takeaway for Jack Sock, a, a large compliment, too. And so I, I appreciate uh, your uh, analysis on that. And, Barry, uh, last uh, player I would like to ask about uh, with what you saw at Indian Wells this year is someone that I saw last year defeat Jack Sock at Indian Wells. That's Dominic Team. I joined that match in progress late in the first set. Tom Team won the first set. Sock rallied to win the second set, then a, a very strange result in the third set. Uh, team was leading 5-love in the third set. Sock broke him to go to 1-5, and then Jack Sock broke him to lose the match. So Dominic Team broke Jack Sock four times in the third set and to, to win that match. But this is someone that obviously he's been on the radar for tennis aficionados for quite some time. Strength is on clay. I, I can see a couple of Roland Garros titles in his career before it's all said and done. But I'm really impressed with what Dominic Team has been able to do in, in a fairly short amount of time on a hard court because he really wasn't all that good on a hard court not too long ago. Saw him lose to uh, Robbie Ginepri, of all people, in Cincinnati when uh, Ginepri was you know, on his last legs, if you will, but he was still good enough to beat Team. Your thoughts on, on Dominic Team, uh, on what you saw at Indian Wells, and maybe what we can expect from him in the next few years. Yeah, he's uh, it's a complicated situation with him. I mean, he he's I think he's instinctively he's a clay quarter. Um, you know, watching him and Wawrinka play was was almost hilarious. Since both these guys were fifteen to twenty feet behind the baseline, just swinging as <laughs> absolutely as hard. <laughs> you know, if anybody could learn to take the ball early, uh, and I wrote a piece about him too. It was kind of the battle of the one handers or you know, the beautiful one handers that didn't really materialize because they're all just running around, hitting, running around their backhands mm-hmm. to hit their forehands. It was like you know, it's like going up. 
to go see your favorite band and they don't play your favorite song. You know, it's like, come on, guys, I can't game for the back end there. Um, yep. he, listen, he's he's a specimen. He's serving. He's serving. He's really jacked up his serve. Now he's popping that thing at 140. Even at night, he was in the one low 140. So he's a he's a real real physical specimen. Um, you know, obviously the buzz out there is he's overplaying. He's playing too much tennis, and you know, hopefully he won't wear himself out. Uh, I just think he's got a he's got an interesting dynamic here. He, I, he, he first of all he wants to take your first serve on the baseline, which I just don't quite understand. The one hander, he's up there trying to take you know semi full cuts off the you know off your first serve, taking it early, and then as soon as he gets it in play, he backs up fifteen feet. <laughs> so, so the whole thing's a little backwards. And if I were him, I would lay back ten fifteen feet, get the ball in play, and then work your way forward. So he's got a lot of room for improvement in his you know I would say his mid court game and his front court game, where if he could just learn how to take these big ground strokes a little bit earlier and dictate play, but he's he's just constantly putting himself in bad position. I, I just felt that you. He's, uh, you know, he's so far back so frequently that he's get throwing himself off balance. It's the placement on his shots just isn't what I what I expected from someone like that. He's hitting it beautifully, but he's just not not spotting his shots like he needs to do. So, but I think that's the stuff with, uh, you know, he's got room for improvement there. But um, you know, he, again, he's a clay court mentality playing on a hard court, so it's always a tough ask to get these guys to play a little closer to the line and you know and be able to take that ball early and, and smother their opponents. So, uh, but I'm got you know he's got a big time serve and he's. A, Editor, and uh, I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he's going to be there. Well, that's, uh, that's a that's a pretty huge uh, first serve in the 140s. That's huge, and I, I love uh, your analogy there. The the team Orinka battle that uh, you go see uh, your favorite band and then they'll play your favorite songs. That that's beautiful. I, I like how you put that. And uh, yeah, Barry, before we move away from Indian Wells and and talking about Miami a little bit, anything else uh, that you were able to. Uh, to experience at any wells, perhaps you can elaborate a little bit on the uh, clinic that you did with Nick Bolletieri. Well, that was very fun. So part of our, our tennis life experience is to, you know, we just don't want to sit up in the press box and report about tennis. So that's been done. So we're, you know, we're a very, very kind of a boots on the ground organization. We did a, a fundraiser for a peer of mine whose son is having a little bit of trouble a couple of weeks ago and had a great turnout with the, uh, Guys like Jimmy Pugh and Elliot Telsher and Robert Lansdorf who came out to support our, our situation there. Uh, and then out in the desert, we had Nick Bolletieri come out. And Justin Gimmelstab came out with his son. And uh, we had a nice little workout there that we did with a bunch of our uh, our campers out in the desert. That was three hours. Bolletieri is 86, and he's just uh, he's absolutely on. He was fantastic. I mean, just telling stories. Uh, you know, you could, you could have spent the whole day there doing it. So it was really uh Incredibly charming. You know, one, the one thing I really did notice out in the desert that was really disappointing to me was the women's, uh, just the lack of um, lack of energy around the women's tour. You know, obviously for the five most uh, marketable women, uh, Serena, Sharapova, Azarenka, and Kvitova were not there. And right. the girls who were at the top there, you know, Venus, you know, Halep and Kerber are just – you know, after very scratchy starts to 2017 and, uh, you know, Venus is all bandaged up, <laughs> you know, you just see her just kind of, she's like begging somebody to take the torch from her. You know, she's like, I've been carrying you gals for 20 years now. Can somebody else do this for me, please? Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit, uh, a little disconcerting, you know, especially coming on the heels of Ray Moore's, you know, debacle there a year ago saying the women are riding the men's coattails. They could have had a little better showing at, at, at that event, but unfortunately they're just, a, they're a little bit uh, leaderless and rudderless right now and hopefully they'll they'll get back to their way here in the spring but uh other than that you know i think the the thing when the top guys are are playing and they're and they're healthy and and you know you just get an appreciation for uh 
for how, you know, how just the rock stars that they are. I mean, the international flavor at this event now is fascinating. I spent quite a bit of time in the crowd and just kind of trying to understand what the, where all the fans are coming from and what, why they come out to these events. And uh, you just really, you know, this is the only time, you know, the big guys come west of the Mississippi. This is it. You know, right. they come out this one time, Indian Wells, and it's probably going to remain that way. Um, these events are so big now, and they're, you know, you better, you know, you better have a fifteen, twenty thousand seat stadium to accommodate the, you know, the Federers and the Dolls of the world. Otherwise, your your tournament's not going to be able to support itself. So, you know, and real estate being what it is on the West Coast, you're just not going to be able to to plop down a, a facility like they have out in the desert. There, you need some real estate, and uh, that's so they have it there, and it's a wonderful event. Um, um, you know, full credit to Larry Ellison. He keeps making that uh, the grounds and the event uh, even more exciting every year. So full credit to the the event. I mean, they've really turned that into, you know, one of the premier events of the year for these guys. And, uh, you know, full credit. No, that's great. And, and uh, appreciate your efforts with Tennis Life. Again, um, helping someone out in need with respect to a fundraiser. Uh, that That's great. Sure. Some some very nice names that you included there that that, that helped out with that. That's fantastic. And, Barry, we're going to talk just briefly about Miami. Uh, you talked a little bit about Stan Varinka, the number one seed. Um, nice for him to get a number one seed at a, at a Masters 1000. Kanish Gori, the number two seed, and, and this tournament is without Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Joe Wilfred Sanga, Richard Gasquet, Gail Monfils even is, is out. And so, you know, this is uh, one that uh, historically Federer would, uh, would take off and not play. And now, uh, you know, obviously uh, the number world number one and world number two are out for, for injury reasons. But, uh, yeah, a, a big uh, big void in the Miami uh Miami draw, although we may very well see a Rafael, uh, excuse me, a Roger Federer, Juan Martin Del Potro third round match. Delpo's got to be scratching his head, thinking, you know, what do I have to do to get uh, to a quarterfinal anymore? He's getting the bad draws, isn't he? I tell you, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, you, you kind of feel for Miami a little bit. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, they. I just wrote a piece today on um, Tim Mayotte, who won the first event in 1985, and just how the event, uh, you know, had this wonderful ascent to, to kind of marquee status. Now it's basically gotten passed up by Indian Wells and, and significantly. And, and I just don't think they can compete um, with that tournament. It, it, you know, there's obviously a little bit of a hangover for Indian Wells. It's a very, very tough act to follow uh, to come, you know, start three days after, after such a great event. Uh, so yeah, they're in a little tricky spot there. I think they've lost, uh, they lost their ability to renovate and to expand on the, uh, the Crandon park facility, which is going to hurt them. You know, even though they still do pull over 300,000, uh, patrons there, you know, last year, it's still, they just, they, they need to refurbish the place a bit. It's a little bit small for what they're doing. Um, so yeah, they have a little bit of uncertainty of the future there. They're not sure if they're going to go to clay or if they're going to move it up the up the coast a little bit to the new center. So there's some uncertainty there. And, and then the mar in the lineup is difficult. You know, they have they've suffered in years past. It's never been a favorite of uh, Federer's uh, to go there, and Nadal's you know never won it there. So he's always been a little bit of a mystery at that event. So yeah, it's it's it, it lacks a little bit, but it, I think it only lacks a little bit in comparison. You know, and I think that's fair. You need to be fair here. It's still a phenomenal event and they get, you know, both the best in men and the best women to go out there. And uh, you know, if any Wells didn't just finish on last Sunday, we wouldn't you know, we would be very, very excited about Miami, I think. 
That's a good point, and uh, I'll have to read your piece on Tim Mayotte. He was actually a guest on the show a couple of years ago. We talked about his his nice run at Wimbledon when he was in his prime. That was uh, very intriguing, and uh, some of the matchups he played uh, when he uh, had his run there. But, um, yeah, absolutely, uh, Barry. We um, Obviously, another member of the Big Four wins another Masters 1000 at uh, Roger Federer winning Indian Wells, uh, two of the Big Four are not in Miami, as we mentioned, Djokovic and Murray, but we do have a possibility of another Federer-Nadal matchup. This would have to take place in the final. As you mentioned, Rafa's never won it here. I'm a little intrigued by the fact that he said that uh, he intends to uh, to really improve his game and play well. I actually have Fed and Nadal playing in the final here, um, and I'm kind of scratching my head saying, what year is this? So, yeah, it's 2017, but... Uh, <laughs> You know this 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 is real. This this is happening, and so um, yeah, I just want to get. And one other point, uh, as you mentioned, Indy Wells really passing up Miami. Miami was blowing their horn all those years as being the fifth major, and you know that right. they certainly can't even uh, say anything along those lines based on what uh, Larry Ellison and company have done in Indian Wells. It's uh, it's a big discrepancy these days. But anything else uh, jump out at you at, uh, from Miami before we wrap up tonight? Well, I think it's you know it's fascinating. I was just looking uh, just looking at some of the history of it. This is where Nadal and Federer played their first match back in uh, 2004, and that's before uh, either one of them had won a major. Federer still hadn't won his first major yet. Uh, Nadal took him out pretty pretty cleanly there. Um, so that's when their rivalry be- began. Yeah, as you said, they're on opposite sides of the draw, which is great. Um, what are the odds of them getting through this thing unscathed? It's it's a long haul to the finals, but uh, yeah. you know it's just a uh, you know it, it's you know, when you see when you hear Nishikori seated second, and he's just not, he's just kind of putzing around this year. There's a little bit of, uh, there's some openings there, and there's just a few players treading water there that I just don't think are quite putting their, uh, you know, putting the results together. He's been struggling uh, this, this, you know, at the beginning of 2017 here. Uh, but you really, it all comes down to Fed. If Fed is healthy, and Fed is healthy, and and he's focused, um, you know, I just think he's an awful tough out here. Um, and you know, and uh, certainly when Nadal is looking like he is right now, nobody wants to play him either. So, you know, you're looking at uh, you know, let's talk mid, maybe middle of next week, and uh, you know, if they can all get through these first few rounds unscathed, then I think we're looking for another you know blockbuster final. But I wouldn't bet against either one of them going you know throughout this whole event. They seem to be the you know the two class of the field right now. No, completely agree. And obviously, someone like Nick Kyrgios can maybe make some noise as well with some some voids uh, in in the draw and. Um, Barry, been great. Uh, really uh, appreciate your your time and your elaboration on uh, your experience at Indy Wells, uh, uh, being a member of the media, covering the matches, covering the grounds, getting a chance to talk to so many international people, hosting a fundraiser as well. And uh, before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to share, either Indy Wells, Miami, or uh, looking ahead to the clay court season? Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, I, I gotta be honest. It's just a, it's a great time to be a tennis fan again. You know, it's just, it's funny. I wrote a, I wrote a piece some years ago about, uh, when Larry Ellison built stadium two, I, I thought he was making a mistake. You know, I just thought, wow, there's just, there's going to, the wave is going to crest here and there's just no way the popularity of the big four that, you know, eventually they have to get older and, you know, and kind of phase out of the game, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. These guys are holding on and they're better than ever. And I just think the uniqueness of this era um, just every every tournament just gets reinforced more and more, and uh, you know these guys, 
you know, as I was talking to Mayon just briefly, they brought him back to uh, from the 30th anniversary of Miami, and they had a big ceremony down there, and he gave, he was part of the award ceremony, gave out gave the trophy to Djokovic, and I asked him, I go, you know, do you, any of the guys know who you are, you know, because you're, you know, you're, you won the tournament 30 years ago, and he goes, no, you'd be really surprised, most of the guys, uh, you know, the younger guys have no clue who he is, except Djokovic and Federer, those guys absolutely knew who he was, and they couldn't wait to talk to him, and they were the most gracious, engaging, knowledgeable people of all time, so not only are they the best players and the best ambassadors of the game they're the most personable and engaging and knowledgeable guys too so um so they've set the bar awful high for what professionalism in the sport is and uh you see in the younger guys not even almost wanting to try to, to emulate them anymore they're trying to do their own thing which i think is almost uh you know we're, we've, we you can't you know Djokovic spent his career trying to be federer and, and he kind of he kind of more or less got there I think this next group of guys, the the Curioses and et cetera, they they're, they want to chart their own course here. I think they want to be sure. be their own people. And uh, so now it's just kind of that push and pull between can we get these guys, can you get the top guys out of there so the younger guys can have a chance before they get, you know, too jaded and too burnt from not being successful, you know, kind of like in a Dimitrov in a way who had, you know, who had his knocked on the door for a couple of years there, but, you know, fell back when it realized it wasn't going to open for him. And I think that's one of the problems these younger guys are going to have here. That door is not going to open that easily. And uh, they're going to really have to smash their way through it. And I just don't know if they have the, the completeness to their games and their mental psyche to, to do that. So, uh, but it's a great time. I can't wait for the clay court season. Hopefully we're going to get over to Europe and catch a pick up a couple of the tournaments there. And uh, it's all good. We're very, very happy to be engaged in the game at this level right now. No, wonderful, and I'm not surprised that Federer and Djokovic knew exactly who Tim Mayotte was, and we're excited to talk to him. That's that's wonderful to hear, and uh, as you mentioned as well, I'm not surprised the younger uh, generation, if you will, will will intend to do their own thing, so that's just where we are, but complete agreement, Barry. It is a great time to be a tennis fan. Uh, It seems like certainly, at least on the men's tour, there's a a resurgence, a revitalization with uh, Federer Nadal playing exceptional tennis in 2017. And so on behalf of UCLA Bruin and editor and publisher of Tennis Life, Barry Buss, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>